Before we get into the message this morning, just a couple of, of important reminders. Um, men's retreat is coming up real shortly, real quickly. Uh, and so please, men of the church, one of the most important events of the whole year for our men, go out there, talk to Woody, go to the men's table out there in the lobby, and uh, see about signing up for the men's retreat. Uh, Judy has uh, given us a great display of the things that are happening in the church at Mexicali that we are partnering with, uh, that a group of us, of about 20 of us, are going to be going down two weeks from this weekend and ministering down there. And uh, we want to take some things to bless them. And so uh, some of those needs uh, she has out there, uh, next Sunday would be the last Sunday to bring those in so that the group that's going down can take those down. Uh, so please avail yourself of that. Also, don't forget also about the needs in our park ministry for our homeless, that those needs are out there as well. And then we have our big potluck next week uh, here at the church. And about uh, three or four times a year, we as a church have a potluck service where we have our normal service. And then right after the service, we go over to the cafeteria where our Wednesday night Bible study is across the campus. And we just sit down and have a wonderful meal together and get to hang out and just enjoy each other. And it's a way for us as a church family to connect with each other, to build relationships, to maintain relationships and all of that. So we invite you to sign up, go out there, talk to Debbie, sign up. We're having a good old fashioned picnic next week. Burgers. It's going to be great. And we always have a wonderful uh, just amount of food. And so we invite you all to be a part of that. And then also, many of you expressed an interest uh, several months ago. We have some small groups that are already, you know, existing. But we have some of you who've come into our church and say, hey, we'd like to be part of a small group. And you expressed interest in that. We now have some hosts and some leaders who've said they're going to open up their home or they're, they're willing to lead small groups. But we need you who expressed an interest in being a part of that to communicate back to John so we can get you into these groups. They're, they're ready to go. They've got leaders. They've got homes. They've got hosts. They just need you all who expressed an interest. And if some of you who've come after that fact said, you know, I think that's something now I'd like to, to do, please contact John. Uh, for those of you that have been in communication with John, I would just encourage you, send an email back to him. Talk to John if you know who he is. And if, you, if you're saying, I'd like to get a hold of John, who's sort of heading up our small group ministry here, but you don't know how, Lisa said there is a, uh information to how to do that back on the information table. Uh, so please avail yourself of that. Uh, one other thing before we get into the message this morning that I thought, I don't do this a lot. But uh, for I know we've got a lot of new people here visiting with us this morning. I teach out of the Net Bible, the New English Translation, which is sort of a cross, I tell people, between the New International Version and the New American Standard Version. And people have asked me over the years, since I started using the Net Bible about 15 years ago, why did I choose the Net Bible? And I said it is the first Bible uh, translation that ever came out that had accompanying it translator notes. In other words, the, the translators uh, of this Bible actually told you why they translated the, the Greek, the Hebrew, or the Aramaic word or phrase a certain way. And uh, you all that know my teaching know how much I uh, rely on the original languages. And so that was one of the reasons why I was attracted to 
the Net Bible. We actually have some out there in the lobby every Sunday for those of you that want to just grab one if you forgot your Bible or whatever. And if you'd like to look at one or purchase one, uh, we can uh, we can point you in the right direction as to where you go to get uh, a Net Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. We are in the middle of a series on Sunday mornings in First Thessalonians. On Wednesday nights at our Bible study, we are in the middle of a series in 1 John, looking at fellowship and what that's all about. But this morning, we are continuing a series in 1 Thessalonians, and we want to pick up our series this morning in chapter 4, verse 15. If you recall a couple weeks ago, uh, Paul was talking to the Thessalonian believers about living a, a Christian life, a life of following Christ that is attractive, that is appealing, living a life that others desire to have. And Paul said, this is very important for us as Christians. That obviously there are going to be opportunities where we, you know, God gives us to share with people the word of God. But, but people want to see the reality of God in our lives on an everyday basis. If we claim to have God living in us or that we have a close connection with God, then others should be able to see that there's a difference or distinction also about the way we live. And so Paul talked to the Thessalonians about that. And then last week we looked at just two verses, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 4, where Paul says, one of the great ways you and I can show the difference that God makes in our life is through our perspective of death and dying. You know, do we have hope? Uh, Do do we have a, a certainty, a surety about First of all, where we're going to go when we die, what happens to us when we die and all of that. And Paul said that's a huge, uh, you know, way to witness to the reality of God in our lives. It's simply by the way we uh, look at death and dying, our perspective of death and dying. Well, on the heels of that, uh, the Thessalonian believers had, had sent a, a message to Paul uh, because after he and his missionary team had planted the church in Thessalonica and left, uh, some of the brothers and sisters in the church were dying or had died. And they were concerned when they started to think about the return of the Lord. Uh, would they miss it? Would they even be a part of it? What part would they play when the Lord came back? And so that's why then Paul continues on in verse 15, talking to specifically here this morning about what we call the rapture of the church. Now, I personally love to teach on prophecy, maybe more than any other subject in the Bible. Uh, I think prophecy is just so important to us, not for information, but for transformation, God wants to use the things that are going to happen in the future, if we really believe them, to change the way we live our lives now. Sad to say that there are, is even a growing uh, group of people who even profess to be Christians who deny that there's even going to be a rapture. Uh, there's a growing doubt even amongst Christians that there is such a thing as the rapture. I'm here today to show us, I think clearly from Scripture, that there absolutely is a rapture. In fact, one of the sort of lame arguments against the rapture is that, well, you can't find the word rapture in the Bible. Well, folks, you can't find the word Bible in the Bible. 
You can't find the word Sunday in the Bible, but we choose to worship on Sunday. Why? Because the early church started to worship on the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. So even though we, you know, Sunday's not in the Bible, the concept is there. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but we believe in the Trinity. We believe in one God expressed in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Just because the word's not there doesn't mean the concept is not there. And that's true of the rapture. You're going to see this morning that clearly the concept of the rapture and what the rapture means is clearly taught here in First Thessalonians. First of all, You'll notice in verse 15 of chapter 4 that Paul says this. He says, we say these things to you by the word of the Lord. And the first thing we see here in this passage is a revelation. Paul is simply saying to the Thessalonians, we are passing on to you. What we receive from the master himself, from the Lord Jesus, the the Messiah, he shared these things with us and we are simply passing them on to you. This is such even a a key point that, that Paul's not sharing his own thoughts here, his own ideas. He's not sharing speculation. He is sharing with other believers things that the Lord himself had taught them as they followed him. This is so important. So often as Christians, we focus on the things that God hasn't revealed to us and we let go of and don't focus on the things that he's clearly already taught us. And if God really wanted us to know about the things that he didn't reveal to us, he would have revealed those things to us. But the things that he has revealed to us, the things that he has passed on to us, those are the things we should concentrate on. Those are the things we should study. Those are the things we should meditate on. And as we even shared Wednesday night, those are the things we should carry with us every day of the week. And so let's make sure that what we are taking in as believers in Jesus Christ, that these things are truly coming from the Lord himself. Again, even going back to Wednesday night, John said, your ultimate teacher, your primary teacher as a Christian is not any human being. I am a secondary teacher in your life, or I should be. Your primary teacher and my primary teacher should be the Holy Spirit of God. He should be our primary teacher. And he will guide us, Jesus said, into all truth. John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. And so we see that we should be getting things from the Lord. Every time we open up our Bible every day and we read it and we study it, we should be asking God, God, show me, reveal to me, illuminate my mind, enlighten me as to your word. Teach me, God, and give me something. And then we, I think, then have the responsibility to pass on to others what the Lord has shared with us. That's exactly what Paul says. We are just sharing with you what we have heard from the Lord. And then he says that we who are alive, and notice, Paul wrote this letter just about 20 years after the Lord ascended back to heaven. So not long at all. And notice that Paul includes himself in a generation that he expected even in his lifetime that he could be part of the rapture. That the Lord could come back in his lifetime because he says, we who are alive and remain. He includes himself in that. He says, we who are alive and remain, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will surely not go ahead of, go before, proceed those who have fallen asleep or died. And we talked about that. 
that, that falling asleep is simply in the New Testament a metaphor for death. Jesus uses that, as we talked about last week, describing Lazarus' death from John chapter 11. But here's what Paul's saying here. He's saying in this revelation, something else we learn. That those who have already died, far from missing the return of the Lord, they're going to be right there as a primary part of it. They're going to be, you know, right there with us. We're all going to experience this thing together, if you will. So, so don't fret over, you know, your loved ones who have died in Christ and have went to be with the Lord, that, that they're going to be right there in the middle of all this when it takes place. And then he says this, verse 16. First was a revelation, and now he talks about a return. And notice he says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. The personal, visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, that's what we're waiting on right now. That's what Jesus told his followers. He said, look for me. He didn't say, look for this or, you know, you know look for the Antichrist and try to figure who that is. No, he said, look for me. Watch for me. Jesus isn't going to send an angel. Jesus isn't going to send some other emissary or some prophet or whatever. Jesus himself is going to leave again the glories of heaven and he's going to come down to get his bride. Are you part of that? The return. Maybe the first reference that Jesus ever gave to his personal return was in John chapter 14 when he looked into the eyes of his followers who were on shaky ground right there. I mean, these guys, they were, they were not in a good place. They were full of fear and anxiety about the things that were happening and about the things that were getting ready to happen. And it was as Jesus took their, their faces into his, his loving hands and he looks them into the, eye, and in, in the eyes and he says, let not your heart be troubled. The word troubled means to be to be stirred up, to be agitated. Jesus is saying to us today, let not your heart be troubled. There's a lot of Christians today because of the circumstances around the world and the things in our own country and all the things that they see. They're troubled. They're, they're stirred up. They're churned up on the inside. Their stomach's doing all kinds of flip-flops and they can't sleep and, and, and they're filled with anxiety. And Jesus would say to us, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus said, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself so that where you are, or where I am, there you may be also. The fascinating thing to me about that whole thing is that Jesus wants to spend eternity with you and me. He wants to be with us. He doesn't want us to be separated. He wants to be with us. But he says, I will come again. This personal return of Jesus was also referenced on the day he ascended back to heaven. You recall in the book of Acts, his followers are literally like gazing up and and just sort of staring into heaven. and, And this angel appears and says, Men of Galilee, why are you staring or gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that you saw taken up from you, will so come back in the like manner just as you saw him go today. 
The Bible is filled with references about the return of the Lord. In fact, though there are a lot of things that, you know, from denomination to denomination that even Christians can't agree on, you can pretty much mark it down that all denominations across the board, in one way or another, they believe in the return of Jesus Christ. They might disagree as to the, the uh, events surrounding his return or when he's going to return, but it doesn't matter whether you're Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Baptist, uh, you know, you could go on and on. Every denomination in their, you know, statement will say somewhere in there, we believe in the return of Jesus Christ. Why? It's biblical. Jesus himself promised, I will return. And this is what we as believers in Jesus Christ should be looking for. We should be living every day in anticipation and expectation of the return of the Lord. Because even Paul himself thought, I could be part of that generation that never experiences physical death. I could be alive. He says, we who are alive... It could be us. That's why I tell Christians, listen, there is nothing on God's prophetic calendar that has to take place before the rapture of the church. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says, now before the rapture comes, this has to happen. There is nothing like that. Since the church began, they have been looking for Jesus to come back. And even 20 years after Jesus ascended to heaven, they were even looking for him then. And that's why Paul said, we who are alive and remain, under the coming of the Lord, will not go before those who have fallen asleep. Then we see after a revelation and a return, we see some events or sort of sounds that sort of go along with the return of the Lord. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the shout of command, literally a voice of authority, Then with the voice of the archangel, the leader of the armies of heaven, and then with the trumpet of God. The trumpet throughout the Bible when it was associated with God and God's people was a way for God to gather and assemble his people together. That's what the trumpet was used for. And so these distinct sounds are going to accompany the return of the Lord. See, I think even more than us looking and actually seeing something, we're going to hear something. Because I think the reason why God included these sounds, this voice of authority, this voice of the archangel, and this heavenly trumpet, is because for the very first time as human beings living on this side of, of that veil where heaven is on the other side, God is going to give believers the opportunity to open up those spiritual ears and hear things we've never heard before. And those things are going to usher in the return of the Lord. Then he says, at the end of verse 16, oh, there's also a resurrection. Because he says, the dead in Christ will rise first. They're going to stand up, their bodies, and be resurrected. See, that, that's why even we have the perspective on death that we have. We believe in future resurrection of our body. We believe that because we believe in Jesus' resurrection. Jesus said, because I live, you who follow me will live also. Our hope in our future resurrected body is because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. You'll never be separated from me. You'll experience physical death, but that 
is it. It is simply a promotion for us, as we talked about last week, from this life to the next. Now, a couple things. First of all, we understand that, you know, their bodies are going to be resurrected. A question I get a lot is, well, what about, what about now? How are they existing now? If I die before the Lord returns and my body is resurrected, what kind of existence do I have now? Well, I can't say this definitively, but I think the Bible does give us a little hint that I personally believe in an intermediate body for believers. You say, well, what do you base that on? Well, every time you see an appearance of someone in the Bible who already died, who came back to earth to minister for God in some way, they always had a body. You think about Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration when they appeared with Christ. They had been dead for a long time. And yet Peter says they appeared in bodily form. You even look at the passage in Luke 16 where Jesus talks about the rich man and Lazarus. And after they immediately died, and what's he using? There? He says, well, he, he was, his, his tongue was, was hot and he was wanting some, some water and, and all of that. And he's using these physical things. And even talks about, you know, the, the man Lazarus who had went uh, to Abraham's bosom and he's using physical features to describe his existence. I do think that our body will be resurrected, but I also believe that we are not this disembodied spirit that just sort of floats around in heaven like some kind of Casper the Friendly Ghost type thing. I think God has understood, and you see this even in the teaching of Paul in 1 Corinthians, where God understands that he gave us a body, that's what we know, that's what we're used to, and that's what we will always have associated with us. I mean, you even think about Christ in his glorified body. People ask, well, what's our glorified body going to be like? Well, look at Christ's glorified body. In some ways, it was similar to the body he had before he was crucified and died. In other ways, it was very different. I think ours will be very similar. But there's many questions that the Bible doesn't answer. Because God says it's not necessary. You don't need to know that. But what you need to know are these things. Focus on these things. And the big thing is... We believe in resurrection. We believe in the return of Jesus. These are the things that we know and can be sure of. These are the things that we believe in. And then he says in verse 17, Then we who are alive, we who are still living, who are left, will be suddenly caught up together with them in the clouds. Here's where we get the concept and the word rapture. It comes from the Greek word harpazo, which is translated in our English Bible, caught up. It means to be transferred marvelously and suddenly from one place to another by the power of God. It's literally like God just seizes someone, snatches them, and just takes them from this place to that place instantaneously. Think of it this way. It's like, zap, you're out of here. That's what it means to be caught up. And the Bible says that those Christians who are part of that one generation on earth that will never experience physical death, when we are alive, when Jesus comes, we will instantaneously, in the twinkling of an eye, be caught up, literally supernaturally transferred from earth 
to the clouds to be with Jesus in a moment. That's what it means to be raptured. The word rapture is, is, comes from the Latin. That's where, well, how do you get rapture out of the Greek word harpazo? When they translated the Greek language into Latin, which obviously was, you know, foundational years ago, that's where we get the idea of rapture. It's simply the Latin description of harpazo, to be caught up. Well, one of the other uh, sort of uh, reasonings that, that people use to discount the rapture is they say, well, if you took 1 Thessalonians 4 out of the Bible, you couldn't find the teaching on the rapture anywhere else in the Bible. Well, first of all, you and I shouldn't be ripping any pages out of the Bible, even if it's only one. If that's the only place it was mentioned, then that's good enough for me because God only has to say something once and we should get it, right? But folks, this isn't the only time this is mentioned. There are actually seven raptures mentioned in the Bible. Five have already occurred. Two are yet to occur. Let's refresh our memories about these raptures. The first one takes place all the way back in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, where the Bible says Enoch walked with God. And all of a sudden, he was gone. And he was with God. See, the Bible teaches, even in the very first book of the Bible, that God raptured Enoch. He literally seized him from earth and took him to heaven immediately. Enoch never experienced death. Genesis 5.24. Then you have the experience of Elijah in the book of Kings, where Elijah and Elisha are just walking along together. And all of a sudden, this fiery chariot appears and just literally catches up Elijah and just... Takes him to heaven. And all that's left is this, this mantle, this robe that falls on Elisha. The ascension of Jesus is described in the book of Revelation as a harpazo, a catching up. That Jesus, when the day he ascended, was caught up into heaven. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, describes his being caught up to the third heaven to, to get revelation from God. And the Greek word there is harpazo. Philip, in the book of Acts, remember the story after he had witnessed to this Ethiopian gentleman and baptized him, the Bible says the Spirit suddenly caught up Philip and transferred him from this location to that location in an instant. It was like Philip was there and then he was like 40 miles somewhere else. Just like that. It's, a ra- it's catching up. God transferred from one place to another marvelously and swiftly by his power. That's what it means. The two to remain are this one described in 1 Thessalonians 4. All believers who are still living when the Lord returns. And then the two witnesses in Revelation 11, where the Bible says, after they witness for the Lord and are murdered, their bodies lie in the streets for three days. And then after three days, God resurrects them and literally catches them up to heaven. And they are harpazo. They are caught away to be with God. See, this isn't the only place that the concept of the rapture is found in the Bible. It's found all through the Bible. God gives us hints. I mean, I think about that. If God can create the universe, if he can create us so fearfully and wonderfully made, if he can do all these, what's the big deal of God just zapping us out of here from one place to another? It's nothing for God. 
you see. So the return and then the rapture. Now here's the question. Do you know if Jesus were to come back today that you would be caught up? Or will you, like the popular series out there, will you be left behind? That's a really important question. Will you be caught up if Jesus were to come in your lifetime? Or will you be left behind? It's a question we all have to come to grips with. God wants to catch up His bride. He wants to bring us to be with Him. Are you part of that? Then notice, after the rapture is a great reunion where Paul writes, we will be caught up together with them. Who's the them? The dead in Christ. They're going to be there. And then also he says, oh, and we're going to meet the Lord too. What a reunion. I can't wait for that day. I look forward to that day. I'm going to get to see my dad again that day. I'm going to get to see my brother and sister. I'm going to get to see Lisa's grandfather and grandmother again that day. I'm going to get to see many precious family members and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who've died before I did on that day. I'm going to be reunited with them and never be separated from them again. Hallelujah. What a reunion. What a reunion. But the ultimate, even more than meeting once again all of those who've already died in Christ, is when Paul says, We're going to meet the Lord. And the word meet there speaks about a a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Think about it. I I don't know how it's going to happen, but I believe that each of us as children of God are going to get a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. We're going to be able to look into the face of the one who died for us and gave his life for us. And I love what John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He said, Beloved, now we are the children of God. But it has not been fully revealed what we will be. But we know this, that when He appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. There's going to be a reunion. And you and I are going to meet Jesus. And after this reunion, notice what else. And so we will always be with the Lord. Unbroken, eternal fellowship. In fact, these words speak about being really close together. And it's forever. It's for always. And the reason why Paul wants to emphasize that is because, again, this is what prophecy should do. If I truly believe in a forever... If I believe in the eternity that God has revealed to me in His Word, then shouldn't it make a difference in how I live my life every day down here? Shouldn't I be living for eternity? Shouldn't I be laying up treasure in heaven rather than treasure in earth? Shouldn't I be focused more on eternal things than temporal things? Shouldn't it reflect in my life the things that I invest in? Absolutely. If I really believe that there's a forever coming, then that should change the very trajectory of my life. It should change the priorities of my life. It should change the values of my life. 
Everything should change based upon what God has revealed in His Word. And God gives us these glimpses into things that are going to happen in the future, not so we can just have more information about what's going to happen, but so our very lives can be changed, so we can dive into the things that are really going to matter, that a million years from now, 10 million years from now, we'll be glad we were a part of. And can I say to you as the pastor of this church, that I think you will find that if you choose to invest in a church like this, you will not regret it in eternity. Because God is using His Word through a ministry like this to transform and change people's lives. That's what really counts. And those are the things that we're really going to be glad we invested in and were a part of in that forever. One more thing. In light of all this, Paul says to us as believers, we have a responsibility. Notice he says at the very end, Wherefore, comfort, encourage, Strengthen one another with these words. Notice a couple things. First of all, he's saying the Word of God, the things that God has revealed to us, should encourage us, should strengthen us, should comfort us. Even things about the future. See, prophecy shouldn't scare a Christian. Prophecy, the things that God has revealed about things that are going to happen, shouldn't scare us. If we're Christians, they should encourage us. That's why I tell people too, I believe, and this isn't the time to be speaking on this, this is why I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. What comfort would it be for believers if believers had to go through the seven-year tribulation? Oh, by the way, I'm here to comfort you with the word of the Lord, but you and I are going to have to go through hell on earth before we get there. What kind of a comfort and encouragement is that going to be? No, the reason why Paul says we can comfort each other with these words and strengthen each other with these words and encourage each other with these words is because they are encouraging. God's going to take His people out of here because we're not going to experience the wrath of God. The church throughout history has experienced the wrath of man and the church has experienced the wrath of Satan, but there is nowhere in Scripture where it says the church is appointed To experience the wrath of Jesus, the Lamb of God. That is reserved for those who reject Him as their Savior. And the other thing that we see here is that you and I have a responsibility to each other as believers to take the Word of God, the things that God has revealed, and to encourage each other. That's why God calls us to come together, to assemble together, to live in connection with each other. To be part of small groups and Bible studies. Because it's in those kind of settings. You and I can't encourage each other on this level if we're not connected to each other. If if we're not involved with each other's lives. That's why the two main emphasis of this church for six years has been and always will be the Word of God and relationships. That's what it's all about, folks. Because God wants to take our growth and, and, and the things that He's doing in our lives and then wants us to get involved in other people's lives whether they know the Lord or don't and use us as a profitable spiritual benefit to them. And that's what Paul says. We have a responsibility. Paul doesn't say only the pastor has the responsibility to encourage each other, you all. No. He says, wherefore, all of you, we all are responsible to encourage one another with these words.
Are you ready for the return of the Lord? Are we living in light of his return? Are we living each day as if Jesus could come? Are the decisions and choices we are making, do they line up with these truths and realities that God has revealed? And if Jesus were to come today, would you be caught up or would you be left behind? If you don't know for sure that you'd be caught up, I would encourage you after this service or sometime real soon to grab one of the spiritual leaders here or someone that you trust and know that knows the word in your life and get alone with them and say, how can I know for sure that I will be caught up when Jesus comes? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth and reality of the rapture, the return of Jesus and then the catching up of his bride, the church, into his arms in, in the air. And God, I pray that, that that's not just something that we think about every once in a while and that gives us sort of a, a, a good feeling on the inside. But I pray, God, that the truths and realities of your word would be things that light a spiritual fire in us every day. God, that we live our lives differently because this forever is coming and it's coming swiftly. It's coming quickly. And I know that you have impressed upon me as the pastor of this church to teach your word with a real sense of urgency that we don't have just, you know, thousands of years left. This earth and this world and the way it is right now couldn't last that long. God, we know you need to come. And we need to be ready when you come. And that's what you're going to talk to us about next week. But God, this day, speak to us about just living in anticipation and expectation of your coming every day. And what difference that should make in our lives. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.